third chapter. We'll begin with verse 14. It says, And above all these things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in, the, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Father, we thank you today for your word that is rich in truth and meaning. We ask now that you would write, help this servant of yours rightly divide the word of God. We pray that the hearers of the word would understand and comprehend and speak, Lord, where a man cannot speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we wanted to talk about this morning why we sing. As we look uh, just coming up around the corner, Father's Day is just ahead of us, and, and we had a great time over the weekend doing the father-son camp out. I appreciate all the, all the men who came and everything that, that happened there. It, w- it was great. But I want to share a little story about a man and his 10-year-old son. They, they went on a fishing trip. They were miles away from home, and the boy insisted that they would uh, go to a Sunday service somewhere. And so the dad found a small rural church and they went there and he forgot to bring any money with him but he had his but he had a dollar in his pocket and so he gave the dollar to his son to put in the offering plate as it was passed and uh, as they walked back to the car after service the the dad is saying to the son and he was kind of complaining he said well that service was a, a little too long and and the sermon it was kind of boring and the singing was a little off key and finally the boy said dad he said I thought it was pretty good for a dollar. <laughs> when we think about coming to church in the, in the church family and, and meeting together with the people of God, we, we often don't question a lot of things that we do in the church. We understand why we pray. We understand why we preach the word, to, get, to bring the message of hope and salvation and, and strength and courage and all of the things that the word has to offer. We understand that prayer has to do with a communication with God, a, a two-way communication, in fact, uh, not only speaking but also listening. We understand why we have children's church to raise up our children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, both in the home and outside of the home, what we submit our children to in the church family. We understand why we do Vacation Bible School as an outreach to children in our communities as well as to strengthen our children and to allow them to know that there's joy in the Lord, there's fun in the, in the body of Christ. We can have a good time serving Christ. There, there's gonna, there may be bad times, there's no doubt, but there's going to be good times in the Lord as well. There's going to be trials, there's going to be mountaintop experiences, and there's going to be valley experiences, and we need our children to understand that. And so we have all of these programs, and we do all of these things, but the initiative behind it is known, it's understood. But one thing in the church that often is misunderstood or not completely understood is the subject of why we sing in the church. Why do we come in? Why do we have song services? What is the purpose of it? What's the intention? What's the motive? What does it do? What doesn't it do? And we'll certainly not be exhaustive in in the preaching this morning about the singing. But we do want to go over just a few things scripturally. We want to see what does the Bible say about it? What's its purpose? Why does the congregation come together to sing? So I want to present to you just a few different reasons why we do it. Some people think that 
you know, it's just the war, we just, we're just warming up for the preaching of the word. You know, we're just getting ready. And that's in part true. We want to get our minds right. We want to be in one accord so that we're all of one mind in unison to hear the word proclaimed, certainly. But there's more to it. If that's all that we're doing, then we're cheating ourselves. We're not understanding the depth and the truth and the purpose and the intent of singing songs unto the Lord. The Bible tells us right here that we should let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So he's not saying we should just sing one kind of music or the other. He's giving us a variety. It's not the type of music. It's not whether it's contemporary or whether it's old school, whether it's hymns or whether it's this or whether it's that with choruses only, whether we only sing the first and third verse or verses 1 through 27. It doesn't matter. It's, it's the purpose of it is that is not the driving force behind it. It's not how many instruments that we have or how many that we don't have. Although I will say, if anybody has a gift of music this morning and you can play an instrument, come and see Stephen. He would be glad to see about get, maybe incorporating that instrument in our praise team. Okay, hey, we didn't need a slide for that. <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> so what I, there's, there's these multidimensional aspects that music has and that singing has, and we just want to at least talk about it a little bit this morning because it affects mankind at, at a deep level and on multiple different ways in our lives. And we all understand this concept of how music plays an important part in our lives, especially in this day and hour when music's so readily available at the push of a button or the turn of a dial, it seems to be right there. And so we want to talk about it. And so there are some four areas that we want to talk about this morning that music touches upon. Praise to God, the worship of God, fighting battles, and the ability to teach. And so when we talk about praising God, you almost can't talk about praising God without being in Psalm 150. In Psalm 150, and, and we talked about the power of praise a, a while back uh, in a sermon based in Psalm 150. And it tells us in Psalm 150, it says, the questions are answered, where should we praise God? And it says, in the sanctuary, we should be praising God. The people of God should be praising God in the sanctuary that's built to honor God. Amen? Why should we praise Him? The psalmist tells us, it says, for His mighty acts. Has God done anything mighty in your life? Has He done anything on your behalf? Has He saved your soul? Has He delivered you from something? See, His mighty acts ought to propel us to sing His praises. The Bible says in Psalm 150 that it's according to His excellent greatness. Has God been good to you? There should be something coming out of our hearts that we can't, we can't hold it back because he's been so good to us. Even if you don't have the ability to sing, that's okay. Because you're singing to an audience of one. Amen? The truth of the matter is that God, the Bible tells us that he inhabits the praise of his people. The book of Psalms in chapter 22 and verse 3, it says, But thou art holy that thou inhabitest the praises of Israel. So see, God inhabits the praises of his people. That word inhabit is the Greek word yeshab, and it means he sits down. He begins to dwell. 
It doesn't mean that he inhabits it from a distance. It means when God hears the praises of his people, that he is walking by and he hears the church singing, so to speak, and he says, I'm going to sit here for just a while. I want to dwell here for just a while. How many of you have turned the radio on in your car? You're going through something throughout the week. You begin to sing praises and songs and spiritual songs to God, and you find that his presence becomes real in that, in that vehicle or in, in your home, sometimes in the shower. It makes no difference where you're at. The purpose of the song is because God inhabits the praises of his people. And as the church, when we gather on a Sunday morning, we want God here. Amen? We don't just want a man to be able to speak. We don't want just the ability to have talents in the church and to sing eloquent music. But we want God to show up because when God shows up, church isn't just church as normal. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I don't come to church just to have church as usual. I come to see lives changed. I come to see hearts transformed. I want, to, I want the people of God to be praying about unsaved souls lingering into our church. I want to see the day when drunks are walking in, drug addicts are walking in, prostitutes are walking in. And under the power of God, under the singing and the anointing of the power and the move of the Spirit of God, they break and they crumble and they repent and get right with Almighty God. That's what I envision the church becoming. Amen? That's where we were all at, wasn't it, at one time in our life? Oh, we can think of ourselves as so great, but we all sit here by the grace of God. But by the grace of God, there goes I. Amen? And so the psalmist tells us that with what should we praise our God? What do we use? And he says, use the trumpet, the psaltery, and the harp, the timbrel or the tambourine. He says, you can dance. He says, use stringed instruments, the organ, loud Loud symbols. Hmm. And all the older folks said, <laughs> loud symbols, the high sounding symbols. He said, We praise Him with our breath, with our song, our, our testimony, our witness. All of these things are used to praise the Lord. Then the psalmist in the 150th chapter, he goes on to say, Who should praise the Lord? He says, Everything, everyone that has breath, should praise the Lord. So if you sit here this morning and you have breath in your lungs, you should feel something drawing you to praise the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Not just thanks in our heart, it's, hold, it's held back, but he says the fruit of our lips. It ought to come out. If it's in here, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if it's in here, it has to come out here. Amen? So everything that hath breath should praise the Lord. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 69 in verse 30 and 31, he says, I will praise the name of God with a song, and I'll magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord. Now listen to this. This also, this singing and praise shall please the Lord. Listen to what he says. Better than an ox or a bullock that hath horns and hoofs. He says the song from your heart is better than the sacrifice of the animals that they used to do in the Old Testament. He said because this is coming out of your innermost being. Do you realize to praise the Lord it takes the whole man or the whole woman it takes all of you, when you're, when you're engaged in a song, it takes all of your heart is engaged, your vocal cords are engaged, you're, you're attentive, you're paying attention to the words that are spoken. It's doing something, it's causing something to happen inside of you. Sometimes you can come to church and be bitter and sing songs and get better, amen? 
That's how it works. And sometimes you can come to church and you think you're okay with God and the songs start to bring conviction, don't they? You start reading those words and you say, I'm not living like that. That's not where I'm at today. And you begin to pray and you begin to repent and you begin to get right with God. There is a power in the praises of Almighty God. The second thing that songs and singing in the church is supposed to accomplish is the worship of God. I don't think anybody in their right mind would think that we're not supposed or intended to worship God. That's why he created us, is to worship him, to be friends with him. That we, but uh, worship can only happen out of a transformed life. Praise is different than worship. See, praise is you're just exalting him with, with, your, with your lips. Worship, it's something deep inside. It's something more than. It, it's something that really does also encompass the entirety of the individual because we're, 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 we're thinking of what he's done. We're, we're praising him, but not only are we praising him, but we're submitting ourselves to him in a form of worship. The Bible says, the psalmist would say in Psalm 66, 4, it says, all the earth shall worship thee. All the earth would worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing to thy name. So he's, he's telling us that a form of worship, worship is much more than just singing. It's much more. You can worship in, your, in acts, how, how, you, how you treat others. Most of your life, how you represent yourself is a form of worship to God. But singing also is a form of worship to God. We wouldn't want to rob God of that worship, would we, church? It says in Psalm 29, 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. See, it's much more than just singing, but it also encompasses singing in the church. The congregational singing is extremely important. I'm thankful that in our church that we have the freedom to worship. Aren't you thankful that in our church, I, when, when on a Thursday night when we have the encounter ministry and the lights are dim, it seems like hands are up everywhere and there's a freedom to worship in this place. Hands everywhere are lifted and people singing at the top of their voices. And then we come in on a Sunday morning, the lights aren't quite as dim, and so we're reserved. We hold back a little bit. We're worried about what other people think. We're worried about whether our voice is in key or not. Well, I can assure you mine is not, so don't feel at all uh, ashamed of that. It might be in some songs, but in most of them it may not be. And that's okay because I'm really not doing it for you. I sing before an audience of one. There is something inside of me that compels me, that drives me to want to worship this God who has transformed and changed my life. He's put that in me. And I'm thankful for it. But I'm thankful that in our church that we have the freedom to worship. We have the freedom to sing. We have the freedom to shout. We have the freedom to testify. We have the freedom to clap. We have the freedom to not clap. We have the freedom that if you can't stand readily, you can sit. It makes You're not here for us. You're here for Christ. We're here to worship God. And as long as he's not convicting you, we don't want to bring conviction upon you. Why would we want to do that? You answer to God and him alone. But we have freedom to worship. But worship is not about me and it's not about how I feel. Worship is about God. Worship is about who he is and what he's done. Not about what's been going on. Well, I had a rough morning. The kids weren't acting right. The husband wasn't acting right. The wife wasn't acting right. I just don't feel like it this morning. Well, it's not about that. So that doesn't, that's an irrelevant. So in any case, we have freedom. See, God 
is not really impressed either with how talented we are or how ta talented we're not, for that matter. What he wants is that we worship him in spirit and in truth. We should not come in and read the words to these songs and be lying to Almighty God as we sing the words to these songs. Amen. We shouldn't be singing I surrender all if we haven't surrendered all. We shouldn't be singing Jesus is all I need when we really know in the back of our minds he's really not all I need. We're, we're, we've made our family an idol. We've made our jobs our idols. We've made other things our idols and he's really not all we need. And we're lying as we're singing that. God sees that as well. And so that's not worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And God's not impressed. He's just, he's the one that gave us those talents. So why would he be impressed with us trying to think we're so great in offering them back to him? I am thankful for men and women who God has gifted with the ability to learn and understand musical notes, to play instruments, to sing songs, to carry a tune. I'm thankful for them. And I'm thankful that they have resigned to take those gifts and to offer them back upon the altar of praise to Almighty God and not use them for this world as so many do. There's millions of musical artists, it seems, and most do not use their gifts and talents for the Lord. So I'm thankful for those who do. I don't want to misunderstand. In the book of Daniel, there's an interesting story. Daniel chapter 3, you have King Nebuchadnezzar. He has built this golden image. You know the story very well. He's built this golden image. He's, he's made a decree that everyone would worship this golden image. And as he makes this decree that everyone would worship this golden image, how does King Nebuchadnezzar signal to the people that they are to worship this golden image? He does it through music. He takes, and if you find in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, you fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. One thing that's interesting about this is that the enemy uses music as well. Not only does God use music to worship him, but any music, and I'll say this, and I know this might be radical in the church in this day and in this hour, but if the music you're singing isn't worshiping Christ, it's probably worshiping Satan. There's really not any gray area here. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. He who doesn't gather with me scatters abroad. Now that at one time didn't seem to be some foreign concept in the church, but it seems like it is now. That we, we think that we can just take on all types of forms of music and just to in, infiltrate our minds with that on a daily basis and we're not untouched by it. But when we sing songs, it is a form of worship. So what is the object of the worship of the song you're singing? I don't care if it's a country song. I don't care if you say, Pastor, man, I really like country music. Oh, I really like that classical stuff. What is it worshiping? Because it's worshiping something. If Jesus isn't the object of the song then it's some other object, and we have to be careful. We've got to be disciplined in the church. My heart doesn't allow me to do those things. It doesn't fulfill me. I want to sing the songs of the church of God. I want to sing the songs of the redeemed. That's, what I, that's where my heart is at. That's what I desire. I don't desire those other things. It's a worship. See, the enemy uses... Worship as well. King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to unify the people for a purpose. So he had the musicians sing. And it unified the people for, the, for a purpose. But the purpose was to worship an idol. 
It was the wrong purpose. Another interesting thing I see there is a lot of those instruments that are listed that King Nebuchadnezzar used are the same instruments that the psalmist said he used in order to worship Almighty God. So we find a truth that it's not the instrument that's good or bad, but it's the purpose with which it is used that makes it good or bad. Because an instrument is simply inanimate objects. They have no mind of their own. It's how they are utilized that makes them good or bad. And we find here in the scripture that the psalmist says to use all of these things, including even dance, as long as it's done properly and in the spirit of Almighty God. But also Nebuchadnezzar used those same instruments to bring worship to an idol. So it's not the instrument, so cast that far from your mind. It's the use of it that makes the difference. And so there was a man named Andrew Fletcher. He was from a, some, like an electronic group way back in the day called Depeche Mode. He was a political activist and all this stuff. And here's, but listen to what he said. He said, if you let me make the songs of a nation, he said, and I care not who makes its laws. He said, let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. See, people have understood throughout time that the words from songs impact people, and they're a form of worship. The third thing that I want to talk about that singing in the church does, it not only praises God, it not only worships God, but music, singing, is a form, it's a way, it's a process by which we fight spiritual battles. We come into the church and we fight battles with songs. You realize that there were people that came in this morning and the enemy has been on assaulting them all week long, probably through physical problems that they have, mental assaults that the enemy constantly is chirping in their ear. And you come in and you focus on Almighty God and you begin to sing the songs of the Lord and people begin to break free from that bondage. I've seen it time and time again. Freedom begin to happen. In the church, you've experienced, if you've sang songs in the church, you've experienced that freedom. You've come in, the enemy, sometimes you'll just have this sense of a, a gloominess over you. You don't even know where it came from or why it's there, but it's spiritual warfare going on inside of your own soul. And the enemy's trying to just keep you down. And like we talked about last week about contentment, because if he can steal your joy, he can steal your strength. When he steals your strength, you're no longer effective for the kingdom of God. And so the music inside the church begins to peel that back. It begins to take the, the fingers of the enemy and begin to just pull them off of us and begins to alleviate his grasp on our minds and on our hearts. And so we sing with all of our might and we're focused upon Almighty God because there is a power in that singing. In the book of 2 Chronicles in the 20th chapter, we find an interesting scenario here. The Bible tells us that in verse 17... God is talking to the Israelites and he says, you'll not need to fight in this battle. He said, you set yourselves and you stand still and you'll see the salvation of the Lord with you. He says, O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them for the Lord will be with you. That's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. Get over to verse 21 and 22. He says, and when he had consulted with the people... He appointed singers unto the Lord, and that he should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. See, they sent the, the singers out before the military might went out, and it says, 
And they went out before the army to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Now listen to this. It says, And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They didn't even have to utilize the armies. When they sang praises unto God, God himself set ambushments in the military might that was behind the musicians didn't even have to fight the battle. And do you realize that some of you are here this morning and you're trying to fight battles in your life? You've devised plans, you've devised strategies, you've looked at the map of the battlefield and the different angles you need to take and God is saying, you just relax, you just worship, you just praise, you just sing under my name, you just focus upon me and I'll fight for you. That's what God can do for us. He can set the ambushments. He can win the battle. He can fight with the fierceness that we have not the ability to fight with. Why would we want to devise in our minds? Focus on God. Put Him first, the Bible says, and all these things would be added unto you. How many of you have fought battles in your life? Anybody fought a battle? Just put your hand up if you fought a battle. If you haven't, your hand will be up soon. Because they're going to come. How we fight is very critical. Why would we want to cast out a weapon that is so effective in the singing of the praises unto God and the worship to His name, the singing of the hymns and songs and spiritual songs? He says that we should admonish one another. That's not just to ourselves, is it? He says admonish one another. It's not just by ourselves. It's not just in our car. It's not just in the shower. It's not just home alone. He said, admonish one another. How did he say to do it? In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So he wants him to be the, the main focus of it. He's the focus, but it's not an isolated thing. Now, the fourth thing that singing does and has the ability to do not only to praise, not only to worship, not only to fight a form, a weapon, a piece of our spiritual battle armor, but it also has the ability to teach. See, singing songs has the ability to teach us. Most of us get songs stuck in our head from time to time. Have you ever had a song that was stuck in your head that you seemed like you couldn't get rid of it, it was just there? Songs have the ability to teach. Think about this. How did we teach our children the ABCs? Zach, sing that for us. How did we do that? But didn't we, don't we teach our children concepts and things we need to know by singing? Because it has this ability when you put words to melody that it seems to do something that words alone cannot do. It finds a place of lodging inside the human heart and it begins to do something and cause a memorization process that I don't fully understand, I just know it works. And it has the, music has the ability to teach. That's why it's so critical that the music that has the ability to teach, that we don't put worldly music in our minds because it also is teaching us something, whether we want it to or whether we don't. Now... Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, Speaking to yourselves, that's to the people, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
The sad thing about the truth of this is, me as the preacher, that the songs that are sung in the church often are long remembered after the sermon is forgotten. It's just kind of the way that it is. Sometimes things will be remembered, but, but I'm telling you, when you're going through the battles of life, if you memorize the scripture, it'll rise up inside you. But if you make songs in the church, that's why it's important that we don't just sing any songs in the church. But they have to, we don't want to just engage the emotions of a man. We want to engage the emotions and the mind, the entirety of a man. Because we, and we want them to be scripturally accurate. We cannot have songs that say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm still a That's not an accurate song. Either you are a sinner or you were a sinner. The Bible calls us saints, so we should not be calling ourselves things that the Bible does not call us. And so we have to be careful what we sing in the church. And I'm thankful that as, even as through some of the temporary songs that we sing, the contemporary song, that Stephen is faithful to go through and to comb those lyrics. And if he didn't, we comb them every week when we read them anyway. We would certainly make it known if there was something wrong. And he, would, and he would appreciate that, I know, because I know where his heart is at. I know where his mind is at. I know where his drive is at. I know what he's trying to accomplish. He's trying to bring the congregation into a spirit of praise and thanksgiving and worship unto God because we know that when we do that and we're unified and there's, we're all on one accord that things can begin to happen inside the church. I remember times that have gone by when Sister Ella Sue Short would sit in the church and and. and and Pastor Steve would be preaching, and there would be an appropriate time, and it, would, it seemed like it all fit, and it, it, it wasn't awkward, but she would burst out into a song right in the middle of a preaching service. Like right now, Justin, right now would be that time. But he would, she would burst out, and it seemed like the Lord would begin to move. Something would happen. The Spirit of the Lord would fall on that place. And men and women would just begin to get up and to weep and to praise God and to go to altars. And then when the time was right, Steve would just begin to preach again, and it would just happen. Things would begin to, it just seemed like the Spirit of God would, would be so thick in that place, and it would be like a cloud, and it would begin to move you. And you didn't, you, it didn't seem like you were moving yourself anymore, but God was moving you. And your will was just saying, yes, you were walking in obedience to the Lord. And you were just, it was just happening. And God was in control. Those are precious times. But I don't want them to be just memories of the past. They need to be, they need to be things that are taking place on a regular basis inside the church of the living God. See, the music has the ability to teach. The book of Deuteronomy, God commands Moses... To create songs that will teach the Israelites concepts, truths. In verse chapter 31 and verse 19, he says, Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it the children of Israel. He said, Moses, you write this song and teach it to them. Now listen to why he said that. He said, put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. See, they had rebelled against God. And he was trying, he said, you write this song and you remind them where I brought them from. You remind them why they should follow me and worship me. You remind them what I'll do if they don't. And he wanted Moses to write a song. And Moses wrote that song in Deuteronomy 31, 22, just a couple verses later. It says, Moses therefore wrote this song the same day and taught it the children of Israel. Moses didn't delay. God said, write a song. It says he wrote it right then. And he began to teach it to the children of Israel because music and song has the power to teach. So I know that it really is radical in the church today 
to say, don't listen to worldly music. You'll have, I've heard preachers from pulpits talk about listening to the Beatles and listening to The Who and listening to Chicago and listening to other ungodly music. I think when we begin to put things into our minds, whether it's movies, any form of entertainment, music, we need to make sure that God is on board with what we're doing. Because when we submit ourselves to that and words begin to come out of our mouth, that is a form of worship. What are we worshiping? What is the object of our worship? We have to think about these things. You know, does it glorify God or doesn't it? I believe that music inside the church, it has and it must reach the heart and the soul and the mind of man. It's not just a good melody. We don't just want it to sound good, but have no depth of meaning or purpose to it. These songs that have whole choruses that just say, ooh, 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 over and over for like 20 times, drives me nuts. Like, what is that? It has nothing to do with God. All you're doing is trying to show off your vocal abilities, it seems to me. Oh, I can't take it. And there are go, there's supposed, you know, gospel songs. And, and I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just uh, that's that's more of an opinion there. But I don't care for it. But I know in the church that we got <laughs> that wasn't meant to be funny. <laughs> Becky's over here having a seizure. <laughs> just came out. <laughs> But sometimes I think that in the church that we got to be careful with the and, and there was a, there was a, a, a you know a, a comedic line that said we got to start changing the titles of the songs we sing in church because the people in the church in this day of modern Christianity we should not be exclusive to just you know gospel songs we should take on all kinds of other songs too I mean we got to diversify our thinking don't we But the new church titles for modern Christianity instead of I surrender all would just be I surrender some and that's where most people really are anyway. We'll surrender a little bit. Instead of how great thou art, how great I am. In this world of the power of positive thinking, that's where, that's where a lot of people are at. Instead of in Christ alone, we'd say, eh, you know, in Christ for the most part. What about amazing grace? Well, you know, his grace is okay. That's what we get on t testimony time. We don't, we don't hear the, the thriving testimonies of the amazing powerful grace of almighty God and so what does that what does that when we when when people aren't given testimony of victory and that doesn't always mean in the church and I'm not trying to put any burden on anybody only if God convicts and brings that to you don't misunderstand what I'm saying but if, if people come into the church and they're not saved they're not sanctified they're not set free and they don't hear the people of God say God delivered me from this God delivered me from that the hand of Almighty God, I came in and under the power of the Spirit, I began to go. And I didn't want to step out of that aisle. But when I did, when I took that step, God was there and he helped me. And I walked down to that aisle and I got, and I got victory at altars of prayer. If we don't have those testimonies in the church, when we look over and somebody new in the church looks over and they see several people just stand, the songs are, seem to be powerful, but they're just standing there. Ain't no song coming out of these lips. What is their impression going to be of the power of God? Man, 
they're Christians. They, I mean, what's God's impression more, more than that? So we could have, instead of the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my genie in a bottle. Because that's often what we want him for, isn't it? We don't really want him to lead us and guide us. We really just want to ask him for things. So we change the names. Instead of I come to the garden alone, I come to the garden with my iPad. Because it seems like we can't seem to carve out any time for God anymore. My kids can't even go to the restroom anymore without the phone in their hand. And I'm convinced that that half hour restroom break would turn into two minutes if they would leave it outside. We at least want to find out. In the book of Philippians, as we get to the end here, in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible tells us that, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. See, when we put that worldly music in our hand, in our mind, you tell me in that song what is true about that song, what is honest about that song, what is just about that song, what is pure about that song, what is lovely, what is of a good report, what is virtuous, what's the praise? Because he tells us to think on those things. What are we thinking on, church? Worldly music just doesn't have the ability to do that, does it? In Colossians 3, 2, I know it's not popular with a lot of people in the church. There may be a bunch of you right now that you're thinking of your entire record collections at home. Records for some, eight tracks for others. <laughs> then we'll move on forward, some taped CDs and digital archives. But I'm telling you, I, I, I truly believe that the church is crippled because of the things that they're putting in their minds consistently. And this goes beyond music. We're only talking about that this morning. But it goes into the, what about the sitcoms you're watching? What about the radio you're listening to? You gotta, we got to think about these things. These things, that he tells us to only think about the things that are honest, true, of a good report, virtuous, pure. Are those things pure? In Colossians 3, 2, he, he, he goes deep into this. He goes, not only set your mind on things pure, he says, but... Set your affection on things above. Where is your affection at? Not on the things on the earth. And then in the book of Amos, he gives us a stern warning. He's talking through the prophet Amos, and he tells the people this. He says, though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, he said, I'm not going to accept them. He said, you come to church and you want to sing songs to me? He goes, I, I don't want to accept them. He says, neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. He said... Take away the noise of your songs, for I'll not hear the melody of your viols. He said, I don't want to hear that stuff. You're not living right. You're putting all this garbage in your mind all week long, and then you want to come into church and raise up and lift up holy hands in the sanctuary. Those hands aren't holy. That heart is not right. You haven't been meditating on my words all week long. You've put impure thoughts and impure things into, into your soul, into your very soul. You've worshipped them things. The very act of singing is a form of worship. And you've done those things, and, it, and God is a jealous God, and it wasn't to him. So he says, get those songs out of here. He said, I don't even want to hear it anymore. He said, I'll not hear it. So the final thought is, if you don't want to reap the fruits of sin, 
stay out of the devil's orchard. If you don't want to reap the fruits of sin, stay out of the devil's orchard. And I'm here to tell you, upon the authority of God's word, that that garbage that people put into their minds all week long is the devil's orchard. Stay out of it. Don't play in it. I don't know who you are this morning or what, if this was for anybody, for that matter. Some people need to repent of worldly music and worldly entertainment and all of that garbage. When I got saved, I listened to ungodly music. And I don't care what genre it's in. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's classical. It doesn't matter if, it's, if it has a, 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 you know, some heavier instruments in it if, it, if it's if it's rap music, if it's contemporary, if it's, it's hymns. It doesn't matter. What are the words saying? What are they leading you to? What, what is the thought process that went into that when it was made? I don't want to hear songs all about the artist bragging on themselves and all of that nonsense. I want to hear about all the stuff they've accumulated in life. I want to hear about how they got drunk the other night and all that garbage. And so I just ask you, what allures your heart? Because when we find that the world is alluring our heart, we should notice there's something wrong there. That there's something inconsistent with the Christian life. That that does not go with the Christian walk. And we ought to be man enough and woman enough and Christian enough to let God change us. To say, there is something, Lord, you've been, you're putting, I haven't had victory over here and I didn't even realize that this was what was hindering me. The battle was deep. And so when you're in the, in, the, in the thick of a battle, and especially a spiritual battle, you need all the weapons you can get. And you certainly don't need to take on disease in order to win battles. Many people in wars died not because of gunshot wounds, but because of disease. And I'm here to tell you that this stuff we put in our mind is a disease to our souls. And you'll lose the battle. Not because the battle was too hard, but because you're putting disease inside of your own soul. And it'll take you out. The enemy didn't even have to. You did it yourself. As we close this morning. And I don't really have any way to close. I don't have any thoughts other than, do you know Christ this morning? Do you know who he is? Has he changed and transformed your life? Are you submitting to him? Does the message come across to you as abrasive, as something you really don't want to embrace? Then you've got to pray and ask God to help with that. Father, we come to you this morning and ask for your guidance, your direction. We pray for victory in Jesus' name this morning for those who are going through just the battlefield of life. We realize that we want to praise your name. We want to worship you, O oh God. We realize that music has the power to teach us something, but it has the power to fight the battles that we go with. So, Lord, as we close in a song, a hymn, or a spiritual song, we realize that you're going to fight a battle for us, that you're helping us as we consecrate ourselves to you. We give our entirety to you. We don't hold back. We don't give you everything except for our voice box. We don't give you everything but our tongue. Lord, we give you everything. We're not looking around this morning to see who was listening and who was, whose mouth is moving and who isn't. Lord, we only stand before you. We love you. We ask for your touch on those who are gathered here. In Jesus' name, amen.